24. And this morning we're looking at verses 1 to 28. And Matthew 24 is a, a book about the coming of Jesus. Uh, but as most commentators will tell you, it's a coming in two stages. And uh, the, the part that we're going to look at this morning is basically taken up with Jesus coming in judgment 40 years after He rose from the dead. Coming in judgment in 70 A.D. when the city of Jerusalem was destroyed. The second half pertains to verses 29 to the end, and that basically uh, takes up the idea of Jesus coming at the very end of time. So for convenience sake, we're going to break up uh, the, uh, our look at the, second, uh, the, the coming of Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm saying the coming of Jesus, not the second coming, because he's coming in two stages in the passages that we're looking at here. He's coming in judgment to judge the city of Jerusalem and the Jews for their unbelief. That happened in 70 A.D., as I said. Then, as the chapter goes on, Jesus opens it up in such a way as to leave us without hardly any doubt that he's talking about a cosmic revelation of himself to the world when he will come and all nations will see him and he will come with the sound of a trumpet, with the angels, all of these things. So it's more of a cosmic thing rather than a localized uh, idea that we have with the destruction of Jerusalem. Just as a brief overview, chapters 24 and 25 are what's called the Olivet Discourse. And that simply means that this is a major, one of five major speeches that Jesus gives in uh, uh, Matthew's Gospel, uh, and it takes place on the Mount of Olives. And so we, uh, uh, it is called the Olivet Discourse. And it's intended to give his disciples an overview of the, both the near future and the distant future. The, what's coming within the generation and what is coming in the generations to come, in the centuries to come. That is to prepare their minds. Prophecy is never simply to, to satisfy our uh, pet curiosities, which is the way it's turned into today. People have taken the pro prophecy, the idea of prophecy in the Bible, and have turned it into a marketing scheme and uh, have uh, turned it into a, an, an industry and a, and a kind of a... Uh, um, a course of study apart from the rest of the Bible, apart from the Gospel itself. But prophecy, whether it's in the New Testament or the Old Testament, was always to have an effect in the now. It was to always have an, a present effect on the people of God now. It was to have an effect on the people of Daniel's day, of Isaiah's day. God was saying, if these things are going to come, what kind of people ought we to be now? Remember, is that, remember Peter says that? He says, if all of these things are going to be dissolved, and by that he means the world and the universe, they will melt with a fervent heat. 
Then he says, what manner of people ought you to be? Do you see what he's saying? He says, he's not saying, well, just don't sweat it. All of those things are so far in the future. No, he's saying, even though those things still remain way in the future, it still ought to impact how you think and live now. Matthew 24 is difficult. There's, uh, you read commentators on what the time frame of a lot of these things are, and there will be many disagreements. Some of you have study Bibles here. Uh, you, will, you will find a range of views on how to approach Matthew 24. What some of these things mean. But at the end of the day, what Jesus was uh, uh, doing is preparing them. Preparing them, basically looking at what is the world going to look at between the time He dies and the time He returns. To prepare their minds. To get them to focus on what are they to be about. They're to be about preaching the Gospel, reaching the nations. And He said there will be these things coming but don't let that throw you off your agenda of, of doing the work of the kingdom. He's also preparing all of us to say there is a time of judgment coming. Are you ready for that? Truly I say to you, look, I have told you, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. All of that to say Jesus is serious about the idea that He will come to judge. Not some nameless mass, but each one of us individually. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of the things done in the flesh. And so, Jesus is laying out these things uh, and showing uh, what our response ought to be. He is not suggesting that we grasp every detail about these things. We can look at Peter, for example, who wrote of some of the things that Paul wrote. And he said some of the things that Paul wrote are difficult to understand. We can hear of the Old Testament prophets who search diligently the Scriptures to try to figure out what they just wrote about the coming of Jesus. And so, many of these things take time and patience. Many churches are divided over uh, the second coming. Pre-trib, post-trib, pre-millennial, post-millennial. I've had people come and go from churches uh, because, oh, I, I I can't live with your view of the last time. And you may be uh, here this morning and have a... Oh, there's our friend. He's back. <laughs> oh. That might be a good sign. Did he go out? Oh, there. <laughs> um, so, you yourself may be here this morning with a different view than the one I will put forth here today. This will be a challenge. Let's, let's real, really try to focus. But... Um, but at the end of the day, we need to understand what Jesus is actually trying to get across here. And that is to prepare. 
that they would be ready. And that's what we see really the burden of the last part of the chapter is. Being ready. When the Master comes back, are you ready? Um, and so that's really what the focus is here today. It The occasion is... In verse 1, Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came uh, to point out to him the building of the temple. They were amazed by it. And the temple of Herod was truly a magnificent edifice. Uh, One person described it as a mountain of white marble decorated with gold. And it dominated the Kidron Gorge as an object of dazzling beauty. Uh, Even the, the... the, the, the mosque that is there now holds nothing in comparison to what the Temple of Solomon would have looked like. The, 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 the stones with which it was built, tw- you know, some 12 feet wide and, uh, and 12 feet uh, long and so on, just massive stones. And uh, getting them into place would have been an arduous task. Uh, Herod himself kept 10,000 people employed on it for eight years. It was that which from which the, the whole of national life flowed out. We can think of today what building might come to mind uh, around which our national life uh, circulates. Well, we might think of the parliament buildings in Ottawa, which are uh, mag- magnificent in and of themselves, but wouldn't have hold, uh, held a candle to the temple of, uh, uh, of Herod. So it was a magnificent structure indeed. And they were impressed by it. And they were drawing Jesus' attention to it. But when Jesus looked at it, his heart was broken. When Jesus looked at it, he didn't see this magnificent edifice. He saw a monument to unbelief. I can remember myself being in York in England one time. We were doing a camp there and being in York Minster Cathedral. And just walking through it and just being amazed that in the time in this which was, it was built that they got these stones up there and the architecture was so complex and feeling there's no gospel here. Where's the word of God here? Where's the, the, the glad sounds of the gospel? But it felt cold and distant. And uh, uh, th- this is what Jesus sees when he looks at these um, uh, uh, buildings, the things that his disciples are trying to draw his attention to as being impressive and long-lasting. And Jesus says to them, you see these, don't do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. I want you to enter into the, the, the minds of the disciples when they heard that. They were basically giddy with, with uh, amazement. Lord, look. Have you seen anything like this? And Jesus responds with this prophecy that this temple and this city will be laid low, not one stone upon another. And that's exactly what happened within a generation. And when uh, when the, the people's lives that circulated around that temple, when they, when they saw that temple go, it must have been psychologically devastating. We've just celebrated the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And we witnessed the trauma of seeing two towers that seemed so permanent 
a monument to the glory of man, a monument to human achievement, not only uh, 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 structurally, but economically. These were the world trade centers. It was basically the center of the universe when it came to trade. And to see those two towers fall within seconds, to fall to the ground into a crumbling heap of mangled steel. And uh, we, again, are shaken because I, I think the thing that struck us the most was the lack of security, the lack of permanence, that we are now immediately vulnerable in this world. And so uh, Jesus is saying to His disciples that although these things look glorious, that in reality, He's drawing His attention their attention to what God is going to do. What matters to God. And that is so starkly brought out in these words. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Wow. Why is Jesus being such a killjoy? Why is Jesus uh, 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 trying to pour cold water on their enthusiasm? Because He will no longer be with them. This is the last week of His life upon the earth. He wants them to know that the world in all its glory is passing away. He's not going to spend a couple of hours acting like a tourist, going around ooing and aahing over all the things that the world has to offer. He has to, because these are the leaders of the church. These are His disciples. They have to know. They have to let the world know that all of this glory is but temporary. And that's one thing that we ourselves must also know. That no matter what glory the world puts out there, no matter what glory we ourselves achieve, only what's done for God will last. Only what's done through faith will succeed. Whatever is not of faith, whatever is not of the glory of God will come down. And that's why Jesus looked at that temple and he said, this temple will be reduced to rubble. Because it's a monument to unbelief. It's a monument to rebellion. It's a place where the love of God has grown cold. Where the leaders of that place now see salvation in terms of what they do. And nothing about the grace of God. And... This is exactly what happened. Not one stone was left upon another. The Romans, when they came in, this is the devastation that came upon the city. The Romans pried some of the, the stones apart to get at the melted gold that had seeped between the stones. So intense was the heat that consumed the temple. The gold on the top melted into the crevices of the stones. And so the stones were split apart so that the Romans could get at the gold uh, in it. Josephus said that, it, this, this is a Jewish historian at the time, he said it was laid so much to the ground that no one could believe that it had been inhabited. Of course, this wasn't the first time it happened. And they should have known. They shouldn't have been terribly surprised. Didn't the same thing happen to Solomon's temple back when Jerusalem fell in the 6th century? The same thing happened then. So they shouldn't have been totally taken by surprise that oh, the words of Jesus. 
Because Jesus had been talking for the last three years about the unfaithfulness of the people of Jerusalem. They kill the prophets and stone those who are sent to them. The disciples should have known that the city was ripe for judgment. And that ultimately, that judgment was manifest in the rejection of the Son of God. I will send my own Son. Surely they will listen to Him. But when they saw the Son, they took Him and said, This is the heir. Let us come and kill Him and it will be ours. And this is where 70 A.D. comes to October 2021 in our own midst. Because whether it's then or now, the highest crime that we can commit is to reject the Son of God. Is to turn away in unbelief from the gift of God. Is to not recognize the overtures of God's grace and His love toward us on a weekly basis here within our church building. Where God is reaching out His hand, stretching out His hand to you, pleading with you on a daily basis weekly basis to receive the gospel. And we, like them, can become very complacent. We can become very giddy as they were amazed. Look at this. Look at this island we live on. Did you ever see such beauty? Look at the colors. Look at the peace and tranquility we have. Look at how good my life is going. Things are going well. And we congratulate ourselves and we feel nothing really bad will happen to me. And we... we soothe ourselves into this state of complacency and say, it will always be this way, I guess, with me. Hmm, isn't it great? And the Word of God comes crashing into our lives. Jesus says, listen to me. Listen to me. This is God's reality. I want you to open up God's reality that this monument here will soon answer to the justice of God and it will be laid low. And so Jesus does this. Why does He do it? In His love. In His love. He goes on. As He sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to Him privately saying, tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of Your coming and of the close of the age. And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. Now Jesus is going to be talking about things that are happening between when He is speaking and 40 years from that time when the city is destroyed in 70 A.D. And all the things that He's talking about here will have happened in some form or another over those 40 years. These false Christs, false prophets, wars and rumors of wars, famine, all of these things will happen between the time Jesus comes the first time and then comes in judgment in 70 A.D. Will they not happen afterwards? Yes, they will. That's, that's the point. And so he says, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. So Jesus talks about this deception. He reiterates it in verses Verse 24, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Every age has to hear that call again that we 
we be careful that false Christs and false prophets will come. In 130 AD, there was a man by the name of Bar Kokhba. He was the leader of a Jewish rebellion against the Romans. And he claimed himself to be a Messiah. And he was received by many as a Messiah. That has been true down through the centuries. Many false messiahs. We can think in our own day and age of people like Jim Jones in, in Guyana. You can remember back in 1979, uh, his cult where many thousands of people, hundred, well, I should say hundreds of people, down in his compound in Guyana, and uh, he had them all drink Kool-Aid and they all lay down on the ground and they, they, they all died. But he claimed that kind of to be that messianic figure. Think of David Koresh in more recent history in Waco, Texas. Sam Young Moon uh, in, in Korea. And, uh, many people over the years have made these claims of being God's ordained servant in a particular time. Jesus is warning His disciples about those immediate false prophets and false Christs that would come. In fact, this is why uh, uh, the uh, writer to Second uh, Peter, Second Peter and Jude wrote about false prophets. They wrote about these people uh, who would come. So even within the generation of which Jesus spoke, these things were happening. And so John says to us, "Do not believe every spirit." but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Do we see false prophets today? Oh, I say we, yes, we do. We have, there is a true gospel and there's a false gospel. Paul had to write his first letter, his first letter, the epistle to the Galatians, because there was a false, pro, false gospel being propagated by false prophets. They were saying that it is what you do that gets you into heaven, gets you in right with God. And Paul says, these men are eternally condemned. Eternally cursed. That's the language he uses on them. Is that prevalent today? Yes, it is. In many churches all over the land, that is being propagated. In many churches, the, the idea of it doesn't matter what religion you are. It doesn't, all that matters is how sincere you are. It doesn't matter what kind of lifestyle you live. That all is right with God with you. Friends, these are the same false prophets that we have today. God wants you rich. God wants you wealthy. God wants you prosperous. God wants you driving BMWs and living in big houses. And all, all you have to do is name it and claim it. That's a false gospel, as we were looking at last week. And so these things, though they are particular to, uh, uh, to um, the day in which Jesus lived and, and, and onwards, they are just as true. We've all seen it on television. We've all heard about it and read about it. It's been part of our culture growing up, this idea of false prophets. We have to be very careful. As we, uh, as we turn on our television, as we order that book that someone recommends to us, that we are not 
um, falling into a trap. How many books have been written? since When I was young, uh, there was a, a book by Hal Lindsey, the late great planet Earth, which went through several revisions because the date kept shifting. And every time a new world event comes along, there's somebody else putting out a book. Oh, this is the Antichrist. These are the end times. Well, here it is and there it is. Even within our own last two years. Wildfires in Australia on top of that COVID-19 and different things going on. Again, stoke the fires of this idea that we are living in the last time. And people are put out of sorts. We've seen it go to the extent where people, uh, just I think it was 2012, the gentleman in California who got his people to sell all that they had because the end of the world was going to be, I think it was October or whatever, and he sold all they had. He was propagating this idea that he knew the day in which Jesus was going to come back. And you get people listening to that and they start following and they start setting aside the agenda that God had given them. And this is really the the thing that Jesus is driving at here. He says there will be false prophets. Be careful of them. There will be people who will be false Christs. Keep an eye out for them. There will be wars and rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes. These things have always been and always will be. Don't let that throw you off the work of the Gospel. He's preparing their mind. He's not saying every time you see an earthquake or a wildfire or there's a new variant of COVID-19 that you sell all you have and come and live on a mountainside until Jesus returns next Wednesday. He's not saying that. He's saying this is the world in which you live. It's hard. You will be persecuted. And he goes on. Um, uh, you will, verse 6, you will hear wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. For this must take place, but the end is not yet. These things must take place. They've had wars and rumors of wars ever since Jesus was here. How many wars are going on in the world right now? There's, I'm sure there's different hot spots all over the world where things are taking place. Earthquakes. There's been earthquakes in the last several months. One hit Haiti recently. Pestilence. Famine. All of these things have been. And every generation, someone writes a book about it. And sells. And gets on the New York Times bestseller list. And then it goes away. And he goes away with his millions. And along comes another disaster. Somebody writes another book. People buy it up. And what's happening is we're being diverted away from what Jesus is is trying to focus our attention on. That is the proclamation of the kingdom. Verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed through the whole earth, the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. But how will it go forth? Well, Jesus says the the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell symbolize and typify for us the opposition against the church, the the challenge that the church has in many places. The gates of hell. 
You go into certain parts of the world or you go into certain parts of PEI where there's hard unbelief in people, where there's great opposition in people's hearts and minds. And the struggle is hard. It's difficult. Jesus says, these things will be. Verse 9, they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for My name's sake. Read your Voice of the Martyr prayer notes every week and you will see that this shouldn't take us by surprise. That these things are going on even now. And many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. That goes on. We can remember back in the Soviet Union when that was going strong, how children were turning in their parents. Even today, people are being told to snitch on their neighbors for this and that. And we're, so we, 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 we see that oftentimes these things are in play. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and lead astray. We looked at that. And because of lawlessness will increase and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. How do you endure? Jesus says that it is our faith that overcomes the world. It's through faith in Christ. I to the hills will lift mine eyes from whence doth come mine aid. My safety cometh from the Lord whom heaven and earth doth make, hath made. And so we, it's, it's through the Lord that we endure. God is our refuge and our strength, the very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. We will not fear. Though the mountains give way and fall into the heart of the sea, though the, the seas swell, you see, that's the perspective. Not that we're going to slip through without any trouble, but in the trouble, in the tribulation. In it, we will possess our souls. In it, we will be delivered. In these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. And so we are not to be put off by these things, but we are to continue with the mandate that we have been given. So when you see, he goes on, verse 15. Uh, I'll look at this briefly. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel standing in the place, uh, a holy place, let the reader understand. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. What's he talking about here? He's talking about something that was prophesied by the prophet Daniel. It was fulfilled partially in uh, by a man called Antiochus Epiphanes about a century and a half before Jesus when he came with pig blood into the temple and desecrated the temple. But Jesus is saying that that has its, its last fulfillment in the temple in Jerusalem before 70 AD. One, one uh, historian, I think it was Josephus, talked about uh, the Romans shedding priest's blood in the, in the temple's sanctuary. But Jesus is saying that when these things come about, when you see the signs, flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down and take what is in his house. Let the one who is in the field not turn back to his, take his cloak. In other words, there's a sense of urgency about this. 
They have to go because the Romans are on the doorstep. The city is going to fall. There's going to be this huge bloodbath and massacre of the people and the destruction of the city. And again, historians tell us that many Christians did that very thing. They listened to what Jesus said and they fled. Many to a place called Pella where they took refuge. But the point is for us, we too must listen to Jesus. Verse 25, See, I have told you beforehand. That's a short sentence, but it's very powerful. Look, I have told you. We can say, the Lord keeps me. The Lord preserves me through this time of tribulation. He preserves me through this life. Why? Because He tells me in His Word that these things are so in the Bible. Do you believe the Bible? Do you read the Bible? Do you trust in the One of whom the Bible speaks? See, I have told you. How wonderful. We're not as those in darkness, those in ignorance. We have lived through false Christs and false prophets. They're all around us. We have lived with history books that tell us about the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of Solomon's temple. We see the famines. We see the, all the, the earthquakes. We see, we see all these things. And Jesus is saying they're not by accident. These are the beginning of birth pains. These are the signs that something is going to be consummated at the end of time. That a great ultimate judgment will befall the earth unlike any that has ever been seen before. And the question is, how will it be for us on that day? Are you ready to meet God? It is a fearful thing. Remember we read that last week in Hebrews 13. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God will judge His people. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Oh, friends, these are, these are awesome words. And the horror that fell upon Jerusalem is emblematic of what will come upon the earth at the end of time. But for you and I individually, maybe sooner rather than later. We don't know. And you may think, he's being a real killjoy this morning. But at the same time, you could accuse Jesus of doing the same thing with His apostles. Who on the one hand were delighted to show Jesus something positive and beautiful and wonderful. Jesus has to pull the rug out. He has to shock them back into reality and say, look, the time is short. I've only a few days left. Soon I will be gone. And I'm telling you, I'm preparing you for what will come in the near distant future, but also in the, in the long range. And however we understand all of these details, that is one thing that we can all agree on. That Jesus is re going to come back just as He appeared the first time. And He will come to judge and He will come to save. Where will I find myself? Where will you find yourself on that day? There's no greater, more important question than that. 
Jesus is saying, when you see the Romans come, when you see the abomination of desolation, go to the hills. Run. Go to the mountains. Well, you say, we, where's the mountain that I have? Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. That's our mountain. That's our hill. The Lord Jesus Christ, through faith, we believe into Him. Into Him. That's, that's why Paul's favorite saying is in Christ. In Christ. The most, probably the most famous modern hymn, In Christ Alone. My hope is found. So we need not fear of earthquakes. And it goes way back to Psalm 46. Though the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though the sea roar and foam, there is a, a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Is that you today? You can, you can live in this world. You can live this life. With God's agenda, that's an important thing. Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, not your own agenda. You seek your own agenda, then every little disturbance will threaten that. Threaten that idol, your job, your relationship, whatever it is. Every little disturbance in the world. When the stock market crashes, your financial portfolio will go down. Why? Because that's where your God is. That's where your heart is. And you will be constantly troubled. But when your priority is the kingdom of God, your priority is the king, into whose hands now you have given your whole life, then you can say confidently with the psalmist, though the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, or as Habakkuk said, though there be no figs on the trees and cattle in the stalls, I will rejoice in the Lord my God. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. That's the victory we have, friends. Even in the face of words that would tear the heart out of some people. Not for us. Because we serve a God, a Savior, who said, see, I have told you beforehand. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Let's pray.